Everybody, this is Tom Salami of Device Talks. Welcome back to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Uh, Chris and I will recap our week in Minneapolis. I'll talk with Chris Hartman, the president of Epilepsy as Levanova. We'll bring a little bit of a, a segment of one of our conversations from Device Talks West. And finally, of course, Chris will deliver his epic new markers, newsmakers. So you will be up to date. Before we begin, please join us on Tuesday at 4 p.m. on Device Talks Tuesdays. Have a great presentation sponsored by Biomerics. The title is Keeping Up with the Critical Changes in Robotics and Image-Guided Technologies. We'll have Jeff Penman, the president of Biomerics Image-Guided Intervention. We'll have Adam Sachs, CEO of Vicarious Surgical, and Todd Usen, the CEO of Active Surgical. So it will be a great discussion Lots of uh, uh, a very deep look into uh, where we're headed with robotic surgery and surgical visualization. So uh, please join us. Go to devicetalks.com to register. Now let's get this podcast started. All right, you ready for this? Ready. sir doing well tom doing well gosh we gotta hang out this week some i know we were walking the floor at uh, mdnm minnesota and we were uh yeah mdnm yeah. minneapolis but yeah oh thank you great. sorry minneapolis yes 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 although you know it does represent more than but anyway uh no it was great to to see folks uh it was great to hang with our some, some of our colleagues uh <laughs> and we ate about 17 pounds of steak at manny's which was yes outstanding you know, and appropriate too, since you know, like it's named after Manny Villafana. So there you go. Come, That's come why we went. All right. That's right. That in the in the tub of bread pudding, which uh, I'm still having dreams about. That was fantastic. That was very decadent. Yes, yeah. that was great. And did your Good kids times. enjoy the hash browns? The, the leftover hash browns. It, they did. They yeah. Like <laughs> with that, you know, I, I had recalled the hash browns were really good there. Yes, that was like. I, they were great. A sizable portion of delicious potatoes. I am still having yes. happy thoughts about that meal. Anyway, yeah. that's not why we're here. Now I'll do penance. I think I'm gonna like, uh, like, uh, you know, like roast some Brussels sprouts for lunch, but perhaps or something. I'll be good. Uh, I, I hit the Hilton gym a little extra that that next morning. So uh, there you go. Yeah, good deal. Yeah, I paid my penance. <laughs> So oh, here we are. Here we are. We've got uh, an interesting uh, new Marcus Newsmakers. Uh, just looking ahead, oh, yeah. though, for uh, well, I was just thinking though, it's it's early November. Mm-hmm. We're gonna be we're obviously a month away from December. We're gonna start looking at yes you know, news big <laughs> de- big. De- <laughs> yes, November's before December. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for confirming my. <laughs> My theory, yes, it's always good to have confirmation. Uh, you know, we're going to be start talking about news of the year pretty soon. Yeah, yeah, yes, we are. And I Man. think we, I think we might have one in the newsmakers. We'll hit. I think the number one this this week might be one. But I think so. Uh, do you have any? Do you have yeah, any takeaways? Any other thoughts of what you know? What might make that top list at this point? And we invite our listeners, like when you, if you find us in social media, let us know what you think the deals of the year will be or the news of the year will be. But uh, oh my gosh! I mean, it's, I haven't it's all, prepped you for this, but anything come to mind of of big news of the year? 
big news of the year. Well, you know, I, I mean, the really big, I mean, when I actually, you know, when I'm thinking of like uh, this year, yeah, this year time, I'd probably say like, like probably just the, the biggest story has been uh, the device industry just like wrangling with, with all these supply chain, you know, problems yeah, no, for you know, sure. that they've had and, you know, and, and, you know, like kind of like the different, you know, kind of like that. It's just like changing the way that, I mean, this whole like, you know, medical device supplier contract ma- manufacturing space that we know well. I mean, we were at MDNM Minneapolis talking to a lot of those those folks. Um, it's it's changing, and the device companies want even more capabilities out of them, and they you know want to base you know people at those those suppliers. And you know, I, I just think that that space is is changing going forward. So that's definitely one of the one of the big stories that like sticks out to me. And, yeah, you know, that, and, I, and I think along those lines, it just kind of occurred to me as you were saying that. I think the uh, the the stereogenics lawsuit, uh, oh, absolutely, or ethylene oxide. I think that's going to be one that's going to reverberate for for a long time. We talked about a bit about that last week with CLTian, the CEO of of Phyx, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I think we're going to be talking about sterilization a lot more in uh, in twenty twenty three. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, something that, like, I mean, here Phyx, like one yeah. tech innovator i mean because they've got like an alternative you know some some kind of alternative to to eto but it's uh i mean that's just a big story and even even co- i mean i've had an- heard analysts say that even companies that you know are, are big in that eto sterilization space who are like oh we've you know things are you know really clean with our operations at this point you know they could be on the hook for stuff that's like years mm-hmm. years old so i mean it you know it could, it could be that this is just a situation where a lot of stuff just needs to get updated um yeah okay but it's a it's gonna be yeah. a, lot, a, a tall order i think maybe and again we'll we'll recap this stuff in december but medufa the medufa changes we'll see if those have a long-term impact on the industry I mean, yeah that, that seems to have been an ongoing thing these like kind of negotiations yeah. with the fda and you know trying to you know it's basically like the fda saying we need more money and you know the industry saying like well how are you going to make these processes easier easier for us you know it could be like a it's like the equivalent like a if I could go to the DMV and tell them, like, they're like, we need, I need to charge you more for your driver's license. Well, how, how easy you're going to make it for me to get my driver's license. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Anyway. All right. So we invite folks to uh, think about their, uh, their big stories. I mean, I think, you know, intuitive and Ion. I think that's going to be an interesting one to track, but lots going on, but, oh, that, yeah. but re- listeners should, uh, should reach out to us and uh, either yeah. privately or on social media channels and just uh, let us know what you think are some of the well, big, big stories of 2023. I'm sorry, yes, 2022. We, I mean, because the, you know, we, yes, the year is drawing to a close and, you know, um, you know, expect end of year newsletters with, you know, top different types of top stories, you know, from, uh, from mass device, you know, and, uh, you know, and, you know, one uh, one thing that you might have noticed with publications is around the holidays, they like to run recaps of what the top news was, because it, it, I know this is an amazing idea, but editors are, are people who take off time around the holidays, too. So that's like something we something we do to, uh, you know, still have news on our, Not our us. sites when we're, uh, no, we're know, 24-7. Right? We're here all the time. You're I'm gonna 20, be posting on Christmas Eve, man. You are 24/7 new marker. That's your your yeah. nickname around the around the office. 24/7, man. 24/7. <laughs> <laughs> All 
All right. Well, let's focus right. on on this week's news, yes. and then we'll worry about the big news of the year. So, what is number it, five? It is, it's great to start thinking about the news. You know, I mean, so I mean, for this, I mean, this week, I mean, this is like a really, really big news week, and we're in the thick of earnings season right now. And uh, um, you know, um, like like number five on the list was uh, you know Butterfly Network, you know, slashing its guidance following a Q4, you know, misses. You know, their their CEO was. Uh, Saying that their uh, rate of revenue go growth was slower than anticipated, um, you know, we're seeing this from a lot of companies. Um, I mean, Butterfly Network has had this handheld ultrasound system; they got a lot of buzz. And if you recall, they were one of the, you know, first companies um, first in recent SPAC years that yep. doing the SPACs, which yep. um, haven't heard much of those lately. Those, those seem to have. Uh, yeah, we're all spacked out. Let's let's talk about spacked out. I mean, we're. Butterflies, yeah, you're right. We've been talking about this since we got the podcast going. So uh, it's yeah. been interesting to sort of track its rise and it's uh, leveling off, I guess. Yeah. If you want to call it that. Decline, you know, uh, it seems to have, you know, just been a trend. But yeah, we'll see if that kind of idea comes back. But yeah, at least for now, yeah, it was a cool way to, you know, the company got public, but, you know, now, you know, they're, you get all the added, added scrutiny that comes with, you know, being a publicly traded company. Yeah. Well, that's this this sort of uncertainty, I guess, comes with uh, developing new technologies. There's uncertainty, like totally. you said, as to how how quickly things will be adopted. And they, Butterfly, just so folks know, they make the the handheld ultrasound device. Exactly. Yes. Yep. Yep. Which sounds great. I yeah, mean, which sounds great. I mean, Could you know you, get? How can that not be a be a winner? Get more ultrasound into uh, ER settings, you know. So which would be which would be great. Especially with yeah. it's it's interesting. Talk, I was talking to my physician, my primary care, last week. And I was complaining about the fact that no one picks up the phones anymore. <laughs> and uh, he acknowledged it. He said, we don't have the staff. It's like, so he yeah. said, same thing at the ho- local hospital. Uh, there's only like two CT scanner technicians on at the hospital. So like there's, there's times when you're not able to get a CAT scan. Uh, so I imagine that as technology like this is developed where these scans can be delivered uh, more easily, that that's hopefully going to help with, with the crunch or the lack of supply of, uh, of qualified workers. I hope, I don't know. Yeah, no, exactly. I, I mean, some of the more interesting technologies I think that we've been covering recently have, have involved, uh, you know, they've, they've had these, uh, one of their selling points, you know, like, you know, angles has been, you know, Oh, we can, you know, we can, you know, we, we can make things more efficient in, in healthcare. We can, you know, re- reduce the need for, you know, workers here or there, which, uh, which I mean, you know, we have a labor shortage right now, and you know, these these healthcare jobs have been really tough the last few years for yep. people. So, so any, anything we can do, if you know, if, if you can have a handheld ultrasound that sound that could help you get to the bottom of what's wrong with somebody, you know, when they're being you know wheeled into a hospital or whatnot, you know, that would be uh, that'd be great. And that was one of the things I wanted to sort of speak to when we had our our one of our keynote panels at Device Talks West. The title was Using Insights from Clinical Leaders to Develop Better Medical Devices. We had Nilesh Patel of, uh, of Boston Scientific Neuromodulation and Farzad Azampour of, uh, of Edwards Innova- uh, Strategic Innovations Group at yeah. uh, Edwards Life Sciences, and Nick West, uh, Chief Medical Officer at Vascular, Abbott Vascular, talking about how medical devices can sort of help uh, alleviate these real-world problems. And uh, we'll, I think we've got the audio for that. So we're going to play a few minutes from that panel discussion we had at Device Talks West. Uh, this comment will come from uh, Dr. Azampour of Edwards Life Sciences. He, uh, he opened up the conversation. Of course, you'll hear my question first. Let's listen. 
do you all feel that the, the healthcare worker crisis that we're facing, is it something that hopefully will subside in a few years? Or is this something that you're anticipating will be a long-term problem and, and something that devices that are released five to seven years for now will have to have to, to solve that problem? So I, I have... I have one perspective, and I, I can share. So, in our, um, I run a fellowship program actually out of our group as well, where we bring in on a on a year rotational basis uh, early career cardiologists and cardiac surgeons to learn our process, and then to go out and be good stewards of these relationships. And when they're done, they have to go back to the real world. So they have to find a job and go integrate back into society. And one of the one of the struggles that even these you know incredibly talented you know, pedigreed people have had going back into the world is that hospital systems, even though they're struggling, they're kind of making it work. And which is scary because they're making it work. And it's, and it's almost like, you know, that they're probably not, if, if they're going to try to stretch that out, they're not going to probably do the job that they, to the same level of quality that they were before. So I think what we'll probably see is they'll try to get away with things and then realize that there may be a backfire. I don't know how long it's going to take for that stretch to happen, but that's a guess. And Dr. Patel, how about in the, in the pain space? I mean, you deal with pain, you deal with depression, you deal with everything that goes along with it, dealing with the shortage of psychotherapists, and I might be going too far afield when it comes to medical devices, but are you seeing those same pressures with your specialists? Yes. Yeah. Um, so two things that have happened. COVID... Uh, intensified patients' pain. So if you look at the soft signals, there are more patients with mental issues as well as uh, pain, almost 30% increase. At the same time, COVID also, at the beginning, uh, restricted the number of uh, physicians that were available. And you can see patients first, you know, face-to-face, et cetera. The good thing is human ingenuity steps in, right? When there is an unmet need, we figure out solutions. So telehealth was was one piece of that solution uh, where people can access physicians and see doctors. Other things like on the education side, we've developed technologies that allow us to teach people globally without necessarily bringing them in, in for uh, cadaver courses, etc. cetera. Um, on the staffing side, there has been a shortage of, of uh, staffing within the hospital systems. And again, you know, we've been able to bring uh, digital solutions to that so that we can manage patients much more um, uh, efficiently. Uh, uh, pre-authorization portal is one example um, where we can unburden the, the, the physicians and the practices. Uh, we also have psychological clearance that, that that's often uh, done remotely. And so, you know, the American ingenuity is there. If there's a problem, unmet need, we'll figure out uh, ways to meet that need. How do you reach these patients? How do you manage them efficiently? Mm-hmm. And how do you maintain the therapy uh, uh, is, is something that we're able to come up with. And, and, and as I said, I continue to see innovation uh, in, uh, in these spaces so that we'll reduce the burden uh, in terms of the requirement for people, et cetera. But there are digital solutions that are going to come in uh, to fill that gap. Interesting. So, Dr. West, what sort of feedback do you bring back? Uh, to, you mentioned the problems you're seeing now. Uh, what is the process to which the situation, the, 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 the situation on the ground is communicated back to 
product development to engineers to, to product managers to people who are sort of playing the future. Are you involved in that process, bringing back that that feedback? Give me a, give me some insight as to how Abbott and presumably other medical device companies handle it. I, yes, I would certainly do that. But I'm going to do the politician thing. I'm going to answer a different question first. Oh, sure. Go ahead. Which one would you like to pick? Well, <laughs> so I do, I do just want to go back to some of the things that my colleagues here sure. said about the landscape. Because I think, make no mistake, I, the landscape has changed, and it's changed irreversibly. No one's going to flip a switch, and it's going to go back to the good old days of how it was. Okay. That's not going to happen. And I think as far as I was saying, what we need to do is continue to engage. And there are great signs of engagement with the FDA about rapid approval of devices, about the way that clinical trials can be performed in this setting to continue to generate the data, because many companies, I mean, luckily we weren't one of them, had big problems in completion of follow-up in, in, in continuing their clinical trials during the pandemic. But there are many, many mechanisms by which you can go about addressing that. The other thing I think, again, just to, to, to mention this, I think we've got to think as we go forwards about the solutions. As, as far as I've mentioned, you know, people have been out they're going back to hospital systems they're trying to do a job there is a question as to because of the shorthandedness whether quality will be the same and i think that one of the things that we all have to do as physicians being the voice of the patient in device companies is ensure that we provide safe solutions but also ones that can improve the ability of the physicians to deliver care now that means make things simpler one thing we heard very loudly about the pandemic from the pandemic was that trainees were affected researchers were affected. They weren't seeing the same amount of cases. They weren't able to do their studies. So the knock-on effect of that, of course, is that today's doctors, tomorrow's doctors may not be as well trained as those five, ten years ago. So we need to provide the tools that are going to enable them to still provide the same quality as their own expert. So going back to your first question, having answered that one, um, it's very important to get grassroots feedback from physicians. Now, we do this in all kinds of ways, and as you're probably aware, and I think there'll be different mechanisms to different companies. Sometimes we solicit it. We may go out, we may have market research, which is performed by marketing, which is triaged often through medical affairs in terms of the inputs and outputs. We'll hold advisory boards where we'll ask people, which may be either more generally medical, but about techniques, the way that the, the landscape is moving. They may be much more in-depth than a hands-on R&D sort of testing and training. But critically, as well as the soliciting of responses, if you like, there's also the whole mechanism about product performance and complaints. Uh, but it's a complaints process. It doesn't mean, always mean the device went wrong. But sometimes when a device is returned or there may be something wrong with it, all of those things are triaged very carefully to look for signals and you know, monitoring of devices, especially when in the vascular space, coronary stents are put in at a rate of, I don't know what, one every four or five seconds around the world. A lot of these devices get put in. So therefore, numerically, we're going to have more complaints than, for example, transcatheter valves, where they take slightly longer to put in, and so fewer are implanted. So we have a large volume of information that's coming in about possible issues with devices, which has to be really sieved carefully to look for any possible signal that something is suboptimal with the device. Physicians get very frustrated. Often, I know, having been on the receiving end, when the re report comes back as operator error, which means you did it wrong, but that's when we can't find anything through the, 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 you know, the, the failure modes process that would account for this. But that's important because looking at trends is desperately important for maintaining patient safety. And we are all about safety as well as delivering solutions to patients. 
I hope you enjoyed that little segment of the panel discussion we had at Device Talks West. We'll have many more discussions like that at Device Talks Boston, which is happening on May 10th and 11th at the Boston Convention Exhibition Center. Keep an eye on devicetalks.com for agenda updates. If you'd like to be part of the program, feel free to reach out to me uh, via email is best, T-S-A-L-E-M-I at W-T-W-H media. All right, well, let's roll on to number four on the new markets newsmakers. Now, number four on the list, we've got, uh, you know, Dent Supply, uh, Serona, they, um, you know, announced um, results of an internal investigation that they had around, you know, some, you know, potential accounting, you know, mispractices, you know, over there, the, you know, that related to the uh, them letting go of their, of their uh, CEO earlier, uh, earlier this year. And, uh, you know, it's like, to, to sum it up, they're saying like, you know, no, uh, no evidence of intentional wrongdoing or, or fraud inside the company. But, um, you know, they, they don't, they don't think that, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the former CEO or, or CFO were, you know, do, doing things in order to, uh, you know, make their performance look better, you know, you know, based on, you know, how, you know, their compensation, but at, at the same time there, you know, there was just, just some ways that, uh, you know, things with incentives to distributors are being reported that, you know, just, they, they say didn't go along with, you know, their internal ethics code. So that, that, that's kind of their, the, the sum of what they said about that. Um, also found some in the process, found some, um, some stuff going on in china you know like along the way mm-hmm. um but uh but yeah so they, they basically their internal report is out um they're saying the sec is still looking into what what was going on over there but uh now we're kind of moving on you know with uh you know like the, the company saying they're going to be reporting their uh you know their uh their, their full third quarter financial results now around november 9th and it looks like they're going to be restating a lot of uh previous financial reports reports along the way but you know like uh you know hopefully they're uh, they'll be able to like turn a page now from you know everything that that happened this year and they've, they've got a new uh you know ceo you know si- simon campion who was you know from uh from bd um you know so like well yeah well here's uh you know like, like here, here's over this big dental tech company now like uh like has turned a page and that you know we can kind of move on to other things and just looking quickly at their stock price on the google machine uh as of my the recording of my voice shares are at 27 whereas six months ago they were at 39 so certainly has taken uh has taken a hit uh, yeah definitely taken over the past six months or so I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's not it's not good when you can't report your uh, do official financial reports because yeah. uh, you're you're trying to figure out what happened with all your uh, all your accounting. So and last in February they're at fifty six, so or fifty eight, yeah. fifty eight sixty nine. So yeah, there's a there's a steady decline there. So it'll yeah, we'll, it's a, we'll see what the SEC comes up with. Um, yeah, hopefully it'll confirm what the internal audit shows. Exactly. Yeah, because it was a uh, that, that was a uh, that was big personnel. Is like them just like you know pretty much you know announcing that they'd fired their their ceo and then their uh, former cfo had moved over to moderna and he uh you know he uh you know, left, soon left moderna back to the device talks weekly podcast we are back on schedule we uh finished the oh there you go and you're talking do you hear that <laughs> yeah 
Sorry about that. I clicked uh, clicked the podcast on uh, on the website. So, folks, you can find yeah. our podcast on the website. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Tom's yeah. talking right there. Wow. I'm like, <laughs> who is that guy? He sounds fantastic. <laughs> I'm inspired just to hear him. That, that deep, deep a voice. Deep. <laughs> <laughs> such presence, such power. Anyway, sorry about that. Tom number two, Martyr. stop interrupting. Tom number two, stop interrupting exactly. the podcast. Who's this jerk? <laughs> all right. So, all right. We're, I, 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 I didn't interrupt your point, but I did interrupt your point. But you're, it wasn't you're me. It. My clone did. Yeah, you, you, you're cloning yourself in order that's to. That's right. <laughs> earth 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 to tom uh we've got a we've got a podcast multiverse going on the multiverse (laughs) i would have said like that version of you had a goatee you know but i mean Uh, already have maybe he's clean shaven yeah maybe maybe i'm maybe i'm not earth prime oh no Uh, oh no i'm the bizarro tom all right all right. Number Let's roll three. on to number three. <laughs> number three on the list. I mean, like, like, yeah, no. <laughs> number, okay, number three on the list. We got, you know. Uh, you this know, is not the tightest news- newsmakers we've ever It is ever not. Heard. No. Yeah, but like, we'll, so, like, we'll, we'll, we'll get going. All right. Number yeah. three. Go ahead, Chris Newmarker. Yeah. Number three on the list. We've got, uh, you know, we got a, uh, you know, striker with a uh, earnings miss uh, in its uh, third quarter. Um, you, know, you know, once again, like the dreaded you know, supply chain is, uh, is, striking you know they're talking about um you know uh you know high key component prices you know that they were you know affecting their uh earnings um so you know they uh you know they uh they they upped a little bit the bottom end end of their uh you know full year revenue growth uh projections but then they uh you know they uh they lowered their uh you know their earnings per share you know, projections for the year. So, you know, just, just another example of, uh, you know, basically, you know, we've been seeing, you know, they were talking about worsening foreign currency, ongoing inflation, you know, this just seems to be another good, good example of um, these, these supply chain difficulties are, are taking a hit on companies' earnings. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, we talked to metal device company folks about their supply chain issues and they, they're able to get assurances from their suppliers that, They'll have the components they need to get their devices together and out in the market because they're so necessary. But one thing I'd never follow up on and should like, okay, great. They're, they're agreeing to supply you with the whatever 1000 microchips that you need, but what kind of premium are you paying on those chips? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, maybe it's not, maybe, maybe it's nothing, but, but clearly prices are going up for everybody. Uh, and this, in the, the, the quote you have from Kevin Lobo in the news release, uh, worsening foreign currency and ongoing inflation, including premiums on spot buys for key components. Yeah, there you go. Pressured our adjusted earnings and will impact our full year results. So, yeah, um, yeah to your point earlier. This is going to be a story that uh, an issue that yeah. we're going to keep hearing about in 2023. Yeah, so it definitely sounds like a situation where it's like, hey, we really need those components. Like, how yeah. badly do you need them? You know? Yeah. And again, we're not trying to suggest that anyone's holding anyone up, but maybe to get those components together, the, the costs are higher. Uh, I, I, I'm not casting yeah. aspersion, aspersions on anybody, but uh, these are uh, interesting times. All right. Yeah, definitely. Well, what is number two on these new markers, newsmakers, Chris? Well, you know, number two on the list was our uh, associate editor, Sean Hooley, had a, a really nice, um, extensive interview with uh, Titan Medical CEO, uh, Gary, Gary Vance. Um, j- just a lot of uh, 
you know, you know, really, really good stuff in there about where Titan is now, where where they are with their uh, Enos uh, surgical robot. I mean, I mean, kind of the way they, they they're innovating with Enos is, you know, that it has like a single, basically, like it has a, um, you know, like one single insertion tube that would, you know, go into a incision in a patient and then all these multiple arms, you know, come out kind of like snakes out of this thing inside of somebody to, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, to do and, and as well as a camera, you know, to, uh, to do a procedure. So, you know, so being able to do all this work inside the body with just one single, single incision point, but, you know, he really, uh, he went through their technology a lot. And actually one thing I thought was most interesting in the, profile was him describing all the work they've been doing with uh with Medtronic I and mean, Medtronic had you know you know come in you know during the uh the pandemic and struck a uh, development deal with Titan and mm-hmm. uh I mean it's I mean definitely gave Titan some you know cash Medtronic got you know some uh you know some you know some you know, potentially innovative tools to to use in some you know preclinical studies, but um, it sounds like another benefit that a Titan got out of this too is that they got to really get a, a bird's eye view of how Medtronic does its, its preclinical work, and so you know they they think that was an advantage as well because they you know move forward with this with you know their own Enos system that they could. Uh, it's pronounced Enos or Enos. I do not know. E-N-O-S. So why don't we say, I would say Enos, but I could Enos. also be Enos. Yeah, it must be Enos because it would be two ends. I think it was Enos. But anyway. As they move forward with their own surgical system, yeah. this is a, a good chance for them you know, to, yeah, they, you know, they got some good expertise from the, you know, they've gotten some good expertise from the Medtronic partnership to help them with the, uh, the preclinical work on it. So, so yeah, it'll be exciting to see what happens next, but you know, find out more in this, uh, article on mass device, you know, you know, titled, you know, Titan medical CEO sees unique opportunity for, you know, for, uh, the, uh, Eno surgical robot in a increasingly crowded field. I guess this is one of the benefits of naming your robotic surgical system after a famous author artist we know how to say those names pretty easily that is, that is true yeah <laughs> da vinci we hugo we don't say is it hugo or is it da vinci no we we know what to say so you know if uh i was just googling it up and um oh gosh this is just making it worse it's it's yeah uh... <laughs> step away from the google it looks like the, it's it's like it's like a person it's like Adam Adam's grandson in the book of Genesis. <laughs> That's not gonna help anyway, me. What's interesting is that as you you Sean wrote that uh Enos has a light camera and multiple arms that drive instruments by table side instead of multiple arms coming from multiple directions. Right. Through multiple incisions, the arms, instruments, and camera enter the patient's body through a single single tube. Twenty-five yeah. millimeter ins- insertion tube, which kind of Reminds me a bit of vicarious surgical's approach, uh, where they're trying to get like the all of the devices. I think they go through a single tube, but they're really trying to like move everything right inside the body, as opposed to having a lot of the machinery outside of the body. So that's going to be interesting to see how that develops. And right, one question we had with uh, well, actually we have Adam Sachs of Vicarious Surgical coming up on Device Talks Tuesdays this coming Tuesday, uh, where we're going to be talking with him and Todd Usen of Active Surgical about sort of the future of robotic surgery and uh, imaging, sort of how those two technologies are intermingling. Uh, That's that's sponsored by Biomerics. 
Anyway, discussion we had with Adam Sachs in an earlier conversation was whether those robotic tools that are inserted into the body, whether those are reusable or not. Um, like oh, Harris yeah. going forward, question. they're not reusable at this point, although he says they can be reused. They reuse them in testing, uh, but they have not reused them yet in a clinic. Oh, they, they they're not planning to have them reusable in a clinical setting at this point, although if they needed to pivot in that direction, they would. So, Interesting. Yeah. So it's it's this this surgical robotics field continuing to take shape. So we'll uh, we'll certainly keep an eye on that. It's a really you know it's it's the, the space. There are just more and more companies you know involved with it, and uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see who like you know kind of breaks out here. And, you know, if if someone's going to be able to you know really compete against Intuitive in this kind of like soft tissue robotics space. So absolutely. All right. Well, let's roll into the big news that you have at, at number one. Number one on the list, uh, we've got uh, we got Johnson and Johnson. They are acquiring Abiomed for you know more than sixteen billion dollars. So I mean, there's been there's been a lot of talk that this uh, you know big big medtech deal was on the way. You know, they're going to be uh, you know spinning off their you know consumer business, and so you know the medtech business you know is, is smaller than pharma. So a lot of analysts have said you know that they, they thought J and J was going to acquire you know somebody to you know grow their medtech business more, more versus pharma, and you know this a lot a lot of speculation was going to be Boston Scientific, but right, know, this, right. This, I mean, this deal. Not here. We never speculated about no, that. No, not us. No, those, those analysts. You know, but anyway, you know they. Uh, <laughs> You know, but but you know this this Abiumet uh, acquisition. You know, like there's there's a lot of good good reasoning behind this here from you know Boston Scientific. I mean, because I mean they've actually like at uh, Device Talks West. I was you know interviewing Celine Martin, who's you know in charge of all these you know different uh, you know cardiovascular and specialty solutions group companies. You know at J and J, including Biosense Webster. You know. Biosense Web- Webster's just huge in the ablation space. Um, you know, it makes a lot of sense to get this uh, little. You know this. You know uh, this. You know you know catheter delivered. You know heart pump. You know company. You know into the into their fold, and you know gives them a really really cool innovation. You know to add to, you know to what they have. So, so yeah, let's be uh, neat to see what you know what what they're able to do with this. Absolutely. No, it's uh, it's certainly one of those those game changing technologies. I like think it's something we're going to be looking for uh, or tracking or hearing about many years down the road. Uh, Abiomed's one of those companies that we've been following forever. I mean, I was remember visiting them when I was at the Boston Business Journal in 1998. They were obviously a much yeah. smaller operation there with a slightly different focus, but this is a, a, a terrific outcome for them. It looks like they're they made a pivot, a big pivot over yeah. the years toward yeah. this technology. And, yeah. and you know, uh, uh, the shares jumped 50% uh, when the deal was announced. So, yeah. uh, and they were already at 300 and uh, well, they were, uh, they were okay. They finished at 378. So they were trading uh, at a high number and, and took a, a huge leap. So great news. Yeah. I think for, for Johnson and Johnson it's great to see them obviously uh, continue to be a big buyer and player in this. I'm glad it's not Boston big. scientific, although it is another yeah. local biotech and it's going to be interesting to see what, what happens to the, to the, uh, the Danvers headquarters. I imagine they'll still stay in yeah. place, but that's not too far from, from my house. So uh, hopefully J and J Danvers. There you go. There we go. It'd be nice to have them nice and close. I can go, that sounds go like it's a big, them. a big, success story for the the medtech hub in boston exactly exactly yeah. always good to have yeah. uh have have more big players i mean 
Johnson Johnson already has a big presence here, especially on the South Shore of Boston, but now they'll be up up on the North Shore. So terrific. There you go. Okay, now that you're up to date with our new markers, newsmakers, let's bring in our guest of today, Chris Hartman. He is the president of epilepsy at Levanova. Well, Chris Hartman, welcome to the podcast. Great. Thank you so much, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here. So I'm, I'm eager to understand how Levanova is helping folks with epilepsy, and I want to learn more about epilepsy. Uh, it's a terrible disease that, that I know med tech companies like yours have been uh, working to uh, to provide some relief. But I always love to start these conversations learning about our, our guests and their path into uh, into medical devices and to where they are today. So what was it about the medical device industry that lured you in, and what was your first job in medical devices? Well, I think it's it's just first and foremost the ability to make a difference in people's lives, and that's a, a super motivational uh, field to be in. Uh, the other thing is closely related to that, Tom, is that it's always investing in new technology, always striving and pushing the frontier to to come up with new and better technology to to yield better outcomes. So, you know, for those two reasons, it's been a, a great place to build a career. Um, You've been at Boston Scientific and at Stryker. You've, you've been uh, you've been in a few. How did you start off? You started off in the Navy, according to your LinkedIn profile, right? I did. I um, I went to the University of Michigan uh, through the Navy oh. ROTC program and started my first four years professionally uh, working uh, for the, the Navy aboard the USS Chancellorsville in San Diego. Left the Navy and then ultimately uh, landed a job selling checks and financial forms, Tom, of all things. So uh, if, if you want to learn how to hone your selling skills, sell checks and financial forms, convincing uh, why your blue check is better than the next company's blue check. But uh, that, was, uh, that was in Chicago, and I used the opportunity to earn my MBA in the evenings and use that as a, a chance to pivot into med tech. And so that's where I started with Boston Scientific, working uh, in the endoscopy division. So uh, selling biopsy products, et cetera, to gastroenterologists. So that was my foray into med device. That's interesting. You've been you've been in cardiology rhythm. You've been in uh, with Baxter. You did uh, U.S. biosurgery. You've covered a lot of different areas within medical devices. I'm curious, is there not that you had a favorite, but what was, I guess, what were some of the common elements of each that you sort of drew upon and, and learned from? Well, I think, you, you know, I've had a fortune, been fortunate, as you said, to, to work for great companies like Boston, Baxter, Stryker, uh, now Levanova, all of whom really pull the best out of the people that work for them and all have a, a real strong passion for the patient, which has always been phenomenal. And I, I feel very fortunate in my career to have experienced a lot of different disease states, solutions to those disease states, and then really in experiencing the culture of all of those different organizations, uh, really been able to, to build what I've found to be an exciting career. So uh, it's culminated here at Levanova, which really has combined um, two of the favorite things I've done in my career, which is working in pulse generator technology, going back to my days at Boston Scientific, and when I was at Stryker, I worked for the neurovascular team there and really got exposed to neurology. And, and that kind of represents, I think, the next frontier in medical innovation. And so at Levanova, we essentially sell a, a pulse generator technology that stimulates the vagus nerve and impacts neurological disorders like epilepsy. So it, it really has been a, a fun experience here for the, the two years now that I've been at Levanova. 
I think epilepsy is one of those diseases we don't talk enough about. Uh, and it's one of the diseases that, uh, or conditions that really has just a dramatic impact on, on someone's life. They just don't know when their seizure may come. It just really keeps someone from living their full life. What can you tell me about epilepsy? Uh, how does it work and how does it impact a person? Well, the, the awareness point that you raised, Tom, is a, a, a particularly appropriate this month in November is Epilepsy Awareness Month in the United States. And epilepsy is essentially a, a neurological condition that causes unprovoked seizures uh, in the patients that it affects. And you can kind of think of it as an electrical storm in the brain that affects how you appear or how you act. Basically, there are uh, three types of epilepsy. The first would be considered focal, where the origin of the seizure can be identified and ultimately addressed. Uh, the second type is called generalized, uh, where the origin is on both sides, both hemispheres of the brain, and, and, and less easy to sort of put your finger on. And then the third is unknown, which the name would imply is um, unidentified in terms of the source. And depending on your diagnosis, that would affect the, the treatment uh, pathway that you would consider. About 50% of all cases of epilepsy are considered idiopathic. In other words, we, we don't know the origin of them. The others uh, could be a result of a, a genetic uh, predisposition, infections, autoimmune uh, epilepsy, or structural uh, epilepsy that could be caused by an injury, for instance. And uh, epilepsy affects people of all ages. It tends to present early in life, so in the first year of life, and then slowly uh, lessens up to about age 10, and then kind of flattens out in terms of the prevalence, and then spikes up again within uh, kind of the age of about 55. Uh, and so we see another spike in incidence uh, for older Americans. Uh, so it really is a, a disease uh, that affects the entire spectrum of, of our population. And what do we understand about, well, let's, I mentioned I want to talk about the community, but I actually want to save that for a little bit later. Let's let's focus on your approach. I know Levanova is targeting the vagus nerve. Talk a bit about how your device is attacking epilepsy or helping manage epilepsy. What is the importance of the vagus nerve? Yeah, you bet. Let, let me start with the vagus nerve first. So okay. mm -hmm. uh, the, the vagus nerve is one of the largest nerves in the body. It runs along the left and the right sides, uh, connecting the brain stem, um, runs through the neck and chest and ab abdomen, and it helps regulate the heartbeat, breathing, sweating, and it also connects the stomach and the gut. So it plays an important role in controlling uh, much of the body's digestive system as well. Many of the physicians we work with call it the miracle nerve because it does affect so many organs within the body. And so that's where, where we are able to um, introduce an electrical pulse. So our technology is essentially a pacemaker-like device, Tom, about the size of a pacemaker, implanted in the chest as you would a pacemaker. Our lead, however, we tunnel up into the neck, and then there's a, a helix that affixes it to the vagus nerve. And then we stimulate the vagus nerve with three different fashions. So first, uh, there's a continuous pulse that we deliver, and that provides stability to the patient on an ongoing basis 24-7. Additionally, if a patient uh, finds themselves entering into a seizure, which we would call an aura, they get a sense that a seizure is coming, they actually can stimulate the, the device using a magnet. So they just mm -hmm. put a magnet over the device and that'll alert the device to start delivering uh, additional current to ultimately suppress the seizure. Uh, so that's the second mechanism by which you can act. 
And then the third on our latest technology, it actually monitors the heart because in about 80% of patients before they have an epileptic seizure, hmm. their heart rate increases. And so what the device is able to do is, is sense that tachycardic event and then introduce stimulation to try and suppress the seizure. Oh, interesting. Really, three different mechanisms of action for the device interacting with the vagus nerve. And then, as I said before, a seizure is essentially a kind of an electrical storm in your brain. And so what our technology does is it interrupts that storm by sending electrical pulses through the vagus nerve into the brainstem and, and ultimately into the brain. And that has the effect of reducing the severity of the seizure, reducing the incidence of seizure, and then also helping our patients with what we call postictal recovery, which is the time that it takes them after a seizure to kind of get back to feeling normal. Hmm. Do the patients feel anything uh, of the stimulation, any kind of sensation, especially yes. when, the, when, the heart, when, when the heart maybe triggers it to kick in? Is there any sort of sensation for the person? There is a bit of a sensation. As a matter of fact, um, when the device is first implanted, we actually have to titrate up to what we would call an adequate dose, okay. um, similar to pre prescribing a, a medication, for instance. You might work up to a, a therapeutic dose with a, a drug, and it's similar to our technology. So um, when we implant it, it starts off at a very low level uh, pulse that's, that's delivered, and then slowly but surely, we increase that. And that enables that patient to then acclimate to the delivery of the stimulation to the nerve. Interesting. And in the case where it's it's uh, stimulated with magnet or through the anti-tachycardia response, if you will, they they can start to feel it as well when it when it kicks into action. But normally they grow accustomed to it, and and it just becomes uh, a normal part of their life. So um, it's it's uh, becomes in the chronic state very benign to the patient. Is it always running at that lowest level? And how, I'm just curious as to whether that's unusual to have a device running, if so, if it is doing this, to running constantly. And, and how does that work with battery and things like that? Is it is it able to hold a charge and to continuously run like that? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. It, again, very similar to a pacemaker. So yeah, true. a pacemaker-dependent yeah. patient has a pacemaker that runs all the time, just yeah. as our device does. It's It's not delivering the pulse. A, a constant delivery of energy, it, it regulates itself. So it's on and it's off throughout the course of a day with a, a cycle time. So, uh, you know, that's the, the basic mechanism of action or mode that it's in. Uh, our batteries generally last about four to five years. Again, not okay. too dissimilar from a pacemaker. And, uh, and, and at that point, then the patient would undergo, again, a simple outpatient procedure to, to have the device itself replaced. The lead is, say, leads are for life, right? So that stays in place, and we would just replace the pulse generator. Again, very similar to what's done in the pacing industry. Interesting. And what sort of success uh, are you seeing from this? How are seizures diminished? Do you have a, a success rate from trials? Uh, any data you can share? Yeah, we do, as a matter of fact. So complete seizure freedom is, is what every patient is after. But as uh, you'll find talking to experts in the field, it's very elusive. Similar to atrial fibrillation, like it's a it's a very complicated disease state, and so that often proves to be a, a, a bit of a, an elusive goal. Um, but we have found in our trials that about eight percent of our patients will be seizure free. Those are the fortunate ones that then you know move on without having to, to worry about seizures again. Beyond that, we see that after about thirteen months, fifty nine percent of our patients see a noticeable reduction 
in the number of seizures they have, and of course, the severity of those seizures. And then at about three years, we see that number jump up to 66%. So after about three years, we can say that two-thirds of our patients will realize a noticeable improvement in the number of seizures they have, the severity of seizures, and then again, that postictal recovery that we spoke about. Um, we also hear anecdotally about just improvement in mood. And as you would imagine, um, there's a, a, a huge overlap in our patient population um, that suffer from epilepsy that then have challenges with depression and other uh, disorders like that just because of the weight of being inflicted with epilepsy. So by having that positive impact on the number of seizures, severity, the post-seizure recovery, that improves the mood of our patients. And so that's been another advantage that we've seen uh, with the vagus nerve stimulation. Interesting. The ability to detect the, the rise in heart rate, is that a, a new function? I wasn't aware of that. I mean, I've heard of other approaches to where you're developing a skill called closed loop system where it can administer the therapy without the patients really uh, having to do it themselves. How long has that been available? Uh, it was on our last generation, which we introduced oh, about five or six years ago. Okay. So we've had it in the marketplace for uh, a period of years. And, you know, as I take a look at our product mix today, the vast majority of the products that we sell have that that capability uh, on board. Um, so it's uh, it's quite a popular feature right now. And, you know, by definition, that does make our our technology a closed loop in the sense that it's it's sensing and responding to a biological signal that's given. Sure. Interesting. And and how is it, what is, there's a connection to the heart or near the heart, or is the generator itself have a sensor in it that's able to pick up on the change in heart rate? The latter, the the sense, it's uh, got a sensor. So there's no additional there's connection, no additional connection. on or near the heart. It's done from the existing system, just the technology that's on board the CAM. I want to find out where we're going next with, with this, but let's talk for a moment about the the community of, of people with uh, with epilepsy. As you mentioned, it comes with a lot of other uh, other complications, a lot of other conditions. How responsive are they to to new technology? I guess I always look at the diabetes community as sort of an example of a community that's really engaged in in device therapeutics that are coming to that are being developed to provide some relief. I imagine people with epilepsy are equally motivated to to bring this condition under control. What's that community like? It's interesting because even though our technology has been around for, for a number of years, as a matter of fact, uh, Levanova just celebrated the 25th anniversary of VNS, uh, oh, wow. the F FDA approval of it. We still think that there's a lot of uh, awareness work that needs to be done with the community. I think in general, unfortunately, and that's the, the importance of Epilepsy Awareness Month, is that uh, for a variety of reasons, epilepsy remains a very private disease. You know, people are sensitive about the fact that they may be susceptible to seizures. You know, we as a society don't understand it very well. And so, you know, that leads to a, a lot of folks that, that don't come forward and really explore uh, solutions. And so, again, you know, that's the importance of discussions like this to really bring it more into the forefront. In fact, we've seen even more of that, Tom, through the COVID years where it's been even more difficult to access care, and our patients generally have been ones that, that haven't necessarily gone out and sought additional uh, therapeutic options. But, but we do see that in, in the case of those that are motivated and working with educated clinicians, uh, that they'll find their way past that next drug, if you will. So as mm -hmm. we think about the prevalence of epilepsy in the United States today, there's about 3.6 million people with epilepsy today in the United States. About two-thirds of those, fortunately, will be able to manage their disease 
with the different medications that are in the marketplace from our pharmaceutical partners. Study after study over the last 30 years has demonstrated that consistently about a third of all epilepsy patients will be refractory to medication, or what we call drug-resistant epileptics. Mm -hmm. And and those are our patients. And for DRE patients, they start to explore alternatives to meds. That starts um, kind of in the least invasive modality with a ketogenic diet. Often that'll help control. Oh, really? Yeah, it's uh, kind of interesting. Uh, Meeting with a physician from Johns Hopkins, who's a big advocate of that. And he's had quite a bit of success for that, or with that rather. At the far end of, of the non-pharmacologic solution spectrum, if you will, is uh, invasive surgical procedures. So particularly in the case of the focal onset seizure that we described at the beginning of the conversation, where you can identify the source of the seizure, it might be able to be accessed and removed surgically. So that offers a lot of hope to patients. Um, but as you would imagine, a little bit more of a traumatic pathway to go for some patients, particularly children. In between are device therapy options, and that's where VNS would reside. So we already discussed a little bit about VNS and and the mechanism for action. There are two other device therapy options for patients, responsive neurostimulation and then um, deep brain stimulation, which has other applications for movement disorder, et cetera. So kind of as as you're diagnosed as drug-resistant after failing two meds, Um, Then you can start to evaluate things from ketogenic diet all the way through to surgical resection options. Interesting. So I I didn't realize that 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 was so you're dealing with with a third of the population. I was going to ask about the treatment regimen. So what is next for Levanova? What does the the next generation of device look like? And what would you like it to do that you're not currently able to do? The biggest thing for me is to get into a connected ecosystem. Okay. Um, so, you know, you're very familiar with the cardiac rhythm management industry. They've been at this for years and, and they've got that ecosystem established. We're moving in that direction. We just find ourselves just a little bit on the, the trailing edge of, of that particular uh, group. So our next generation device will be Bluetooth enabled, and that'll provide a, a connected experience connecting patient to physician, to health system, potentially back to Levanova, where we would ultimately monitor the device, um, look at things like battery longevity, but then over time, start to um, collect data that might correlate different programming settings in the device to certain outcomes that we could realize and and monitor remotely. Our goal ultimately is to get to a point where we can have patient-specific algorithms established with the device that'll just really tailor the device performance to the needs of an individual patient. So within our epilepsy group, that's what we're really focusing on today. Additionally, we also have FDA and CE mark approval for difficult to treat depression. So we talked earlier, Tom, about how often there's a a coincident comorbidity of depression along with epilepsy. Mm -hmm. We actually have a standalone indication for difficult to treat depression here in the United States and, and overseas. So that's an area of our business that we feel we uh, we can continue to grow in. Uh, overseas, we have CE mark for the treatment of heart failure. We've noticed that when you stimulate the right side of the vagus nerve, the efferent pathway, it actually can have a, a parasympathetic response in the cardiac environment and, hmm. and could prevent progression of heart failure. So that's something that we're exploring um, clinically here with the trial in the United States. But as I said, we do have CE mark for that overseas. And then, you know, beyond that, again, going back to the just the anatomy of the vagus nerve, taking a look at all of the other organs that it touches, 
There are applications and a lot of interesting research uh, being done today with vagus nerve stimulation therapy on digestive diseases like Crohn's or IBD. Inflammation, um, so right? Work I mean, being done on on migraine, um, stroke rehabilitation. So uh, a lot of really um, interesting areas in relevant disease states that we could explore moving forward. Uh, I do recall, and it's on, ongoing, obviously still, but a few years ago, it might be even ten years ago now, the vagus nerve was really seen as sort of a super highway to a lot of different parts of the body. How do you sort of explore all those opportunities? Do you have different programs in each? Do you sort of let the researchers sort of sort things out and then you kind of move into the areas that seem most uh, promising? Uh, how is Levanova looking at all the potential? Probably like a lot of our colleagues in the med device space. So we have some organic uh, research initiatives that we undertake here at, at the company. We also partner with many of our physicians. So we have an active investigator-initiated research program where we can partner with physicians at institutions to help discover answers to some of these questions or explore interesting paths. And then we also have a, a business development group that explores partnerships or potential M&A type activities with burgeoning technologies that might take, uh, take advantage of the, the vagus nerve expertise that we have. Fascinating. Excellent. Well, there's a lot going on, and it's great that uh, you're able to provide the much-needed relief to, to people with, with epilepsy. So, uh, Chris Hartman, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, no, it's been my pleasure, Tom. Thank you very much. And, and again, I uh, just encourage people to you know recognize November as Epilepsy Awareness Month. Uh, take an opportunity to go to epilepsy.com. That's the site of the Epilepsy Foundation, or certainly you could go to levanova.com or vnstherapy.com to learn more. And uh, hopefully we'll continue to make progress against this debilitating disease. All right. Well, that is a wrap, Chris Newmarker. Where can folks find you out there on social media land? Hey, you can find me on LinkedIn, Chris Newmarker, just like a new marker. Um, I'm, you know, still on Twitter uh, <laughs> for now. <laughs> I feel the same way. Would you pay for a blue, blue check mark, Chris Newmarker? Would you pay eight dollars for whatever for a blue check mark? Not that you have one, I, neither do I. I heard Stephen King had some like. Uh, yeah, Stephen King's I not checked, a fan. <laughs> yeah, Stephen King's not a fan of that. Well, he's like, I'm giving you content, and I need to pay you. <laughs> right. It's like he's got a point. You know, he's got a point. Uh, Definitely one of the most interesting business stories to follow right now. Anyway, you're at you're at New Marker on Twitter. I'm at Medtech.com. Yes. Yeah, and I'm with, and I'm with you. I'm like. I'll be honest, LinkedIn has really been a, a, a far better place for interactions and connections than Twitter. Um, but we'll be on there for now. You can always check my yes. Wordle score at MedTechTom. Yes, three, definitely my... three guesses today, Chris. There Newman. you go. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Two is my best. I'm still waiting for my, my one guess. It's coming. I can feel it. You got also, this, Tom. You got this, man. Maybe I should convert that feeling and buy a Powerball ticket instead. What's it, a $1.5 billion now? Oh, yeah. That sounds like a good good idea maybe yeah. yeah don't worry chris if i if i win i'll still keep maybe. doing this podcast you know that yeah. of course me too of course yeah absolutely <laughs> and we'll buy one of these medical device companies there you go right <laughs> <laughs> just to get on the new markers newsmakers some idiot put all of his money into buying a medical device company right? <laughs> just to be number one on a, on a list that he was already had a hand in can contrive. If, if your phone number isn't already on list, listen, Tom, I suggest don't listen to your phone number. <laughs> I think right. you'll, you'll hear the phrase, I have got a great idea. That's <laughs> right. I'll be an angel investor. All right. <laughs>
So uh, join us on Tuesday for our Device Talks Tuesdays with uh, with our Device Talks Tuesday episode sponsored by Biomedics. We'll have uh, Vicarious Surgical Active, uh, Vicarious Surgical Active Surgical and Biomerics uh, on a panel. And uh, I'm uh, knee deep in, uh, ankle deep, I guess, ankle deep in planning Device Talks Boston, which is happening May 10th and 11th. So keep an eye out for uh, for news in that regard. All right. Uh, oh, what do we want people to do, Chris? Oh, you got to like, follow, subscribe. That's right. You need to like, follow, and or subscribe to this podcast. Uh, subscribe to the Device Talks Podcast Network. You'll receive uh, this fine podcast, episodes of this fine podcast, uh, Striker Talks and Intuitive Talks, and maybe another one in a couple of months. We'll see if that comes together. Uh, having some conversations. Excited about that. And of course, uh, you can subscribe to Medtronic Talks as well on its own. When are we going to get channel. merch, Tom? When are we going to get merch if somebody falls enough, they can get a device talks. I will I'm waiting for the device talks tote bag. We're going to get a device talks point. tote bag. I will bring that up. Uh, yeah. I will bring that up on uh, on a call next week that we need some merch, coffee mugs, t-shirts, quality coffee mugs too. Not one of these. You get these coffee mugs sometimes, and then you finally get them, and they're very, like you barely fit two fingers in the handle. You like you need a mug. Yeah, right. You want it to like you want to strain a shoulder picking that thing up. You want it to hold a lot of coffee. Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah, that trick. Of, you know, people got to stay awake. You need that gallon of coffee yeah exactly but it's got to be skinny enough to stay in the uh the cup holder well there's that too that's a good point yeah Yeah. all right we get some market research to do anyway folks thanks for joining us get on it tom i'll get on it (laughs) tune in next week we uh we have another great episode planned uh for the device talks weekly podcast thanks for joining us hey take care everybody go vote